This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 31 The Island Moor Lighthouse Mystery Jutting stoically from the harsh North Atlantic waters, 20 miles west of the Outer Hebrides, western Scotland, the Flannan Isles is a small and remote archipelago made up of seven tiny islets. Named after the 7th century Irish priest, St. Flannan, the isles remained uninhabited for as long as recorded history could describe. The collection of jagged rocks was always regarded by ocean travelers and residents of the nearby Outer Hebrides with distrust and suspicion. But one of these fear-inducing islets held a particularly preternatural place in the hearts of those residents. Steeped in frightful folklore and almost wholly avoided by all in the area, Island Moor is the largest among them. For this reason, it was fairly common for shepherds to ferry their flock to the island for grazing. But they all refused to spend the night in fear of the spirits and fae that were rumored to call the isle home. It stands a towering 200 feet above the often raging sea below. The intimidating jagged rock face has claimed the lives of countless crews of merchant vessels and fishing boats over the years. These frequent disasters only serve to strengthen the superstition surrounding the isolated islet. And it is here on this infamous bit of land, surrounded by the tempestuous seas of the North Atlantic, that we find, or rather fail to find, three lighthouse keepers at the center of a mystery that has baffled people the world over for more than a century. The Island Moor Lighthouse Mystery. On December 26, 1900, relief keeper Joseph Moore stood on the bow of the release vessel Hesperus. A light snow drifted into his face as he approached Island Moore. He had made this trip every few months for over a year now, since they finished the construction of the lighthouse where he earned his living in early December of 1899. But this time was different. Not only was he late, due to weather, but every man involved with the Northern Lighthouse Board had a pretty good feeling that something was wrong here. Word came in ten days ago from an American steamer that the light that they had expected to help guide them through the treacherous North Atlantic coastal waters was nowhere to be found, despite the dangerous and unpredictable weather. A quick inspection of observation logs showed that during the month of December, 
Sightings of the guiding light were sporadic at best. This had been a particularly brutal season, and the light, which should have been displayed more nights than not, had only been spotted three times all month. Needless to say, it was more than the winter chill in the air that had the restless relief men wringing his nearly numb hands. It wasn't long before signs pointed to a confirmation of their worst fears. As they approached the east landing, captain of the ship James Harvey let loose with the ship's whistle in an attempt to alert the keepers. When no response was issued, he fired a signal flare. Still nothing. Moore quickly launched a small boat with Booyaman Roger McCormick and headed for shore determined to find out what was going on with the three men who had quickly become his best friends over the last year. 43-year-old James Duckett, 28-year-old Thomas Marshall, and 40-year-old Donald MacArthur were no slouches. They were experienced keepers who would never shirk the smallest responsibilities, let alone leave the lighthouse unmanned. But as he got closer to the landing zone, several signs of total vacancy began to show themselves. No flag adorned the flagstaff as was typical. Supply crates, normally placed on the landing to be restocked, were missing entirely. And more worrisome than anything, none of the three men who manned this station alongside Moore were there to greet him. They would have been expecting him for six days now. Relief journeys were often delayed due to weather conditions, but they knew to expect him on the first traversable day after schedule. He tied the boat off at the landing, instructed McCormick to wait his return, and began the 150-foot ascent up the stone steps toward the lighthouse. Each step toward the waiting lighthouse increased the true and heavy sense of foreboding that was beginning to overtake him. After following the tracks against the unexpectedly desolate domain, he found the lighthouse's outer gate standing open. He yelled out, Hello! and heard no response. A long, cold meal sat on the table, centered in living quarters. Stewed meat, potatoes, pickles. A chair overturned. All three beds sat unmade. The two clocks that adorned the north and south walls were unwound, eerily stopped at the same time. All this painted a frightening picture in Moore's mind but it was the small pile of cold ashes in the fireplace that truly sent him spiraling. It was obvious at that moment that no one had been in the lighthouse for days. The pit in his stomach grew to a knot as it began to sink in that something had gone terribly wrong here. He immediately made his way back to the Hesperus to report his findings and returned with five additional men in order to conduct a more thorough search Examination of the light room revealed that the lamp was clean. The oil fountain was full. Upon leaving the lighthouse to search the exterior of the island, Moore could not help but notice that one of the vanished vanguards must have ventured out in harsh North Atlantic elements without the oilskin coat that hung hauntingly on the hook near the exterior door. While the east landing showed a mere lack of attention, the group's discovery of the West Landing was quite a different story. The damage was at first incomprehensible. 
a box meant to contain mooring ropes and fasteners. Formerly located on a platform 108 feet above sea level, had been thrown nearly 50 feet and lay shattered, having spilled its contents along its arch of trajectory. Iron railings that lined the nearly 200 feet of stone steps were bent badly out of shape, and in some places ripped entirely away. Forty feet of iron railway track near the top of the steps had been wrenched from the concrete footing, and a solid rock outcropping that had to have weighed over a ton was broken away and moved nearly 100 feet uphill. At the top of that hill, more than 200 feet above sea level, the grass had been ripped away from the edge to a straight line 30 feet from the cliff. Regardless of this outrageous level of destruction, the members of the search party were dumbfounded. Returning to the Hesperus, they reported their findings to Captain Harvey. Shocked and saddened by the details revealed by that search, he ordered more, along with MacDonald and three other seamen, to get the lighthouse up and running again until proper assistance could be alerted. Meanwhile, the Hesperus would return to the shore station at Breastcleet. On December 26, 1900, the Northern Lighthouse Board's superintendent, Robert Muirhead, received a telegram from captain of the release vessel Hesperus, Captain James Harvey. A dreadful accident has happened to the Flannans. The three keepers, Duke, Marshall, and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. Fire a rocket, and as no response is made, managed to land more who went up to the station, but found no keepers there. The clocks were stopped, and other signs indicated that the accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows. They must have been blown over the cliffs, or drowned trying to secure a crane, or something like that. Night coming on. We couldn't wait to make something else to their fight. I've left more, MacDonald, Bowie Master, and two seamen on the island to keep the light burning until you make other arrangements will not return to Oban until I hear from you. I've repeated this wire to Muirhead, in case you're not at home. I will remain at the telegraph office tonight until it closes, if you wish to wire me. Superintendent Robert Muirhead was not simply the superior of the men manning the Island Moor Lighthouse. He had personally selected them and worked closely with them for nearly two years. Three days later, he arrived at the islet to conduct his own investigation. Unfortunately, this effort yielded little more than had been discovered by Moore and his search team. Upon arrival, he was presented with the journal of assistant keeper Thomas Marshall. While this was not an official log, it does shed quite a bit of light on the events that led up to the Delphic disappearances. 12th of December, A.M. Gear north by northwest. Sea lashed to fury. Never seen such a storm. Waves very high. Tearing a lighthouse. Everything ship shape. James Duckett. Irritable. 12th of December. PM. Storm still raging. Wind steady. Storm bound. Canny go out. Ship passing. Sounding foghorn. Could see lights of cabins. Duke it, quiet. Donald MacArthur, crying. 
13th of December, AM. Storm continued through the night. Wind shifted west by north. Duke, quiet. MacArthur, praying. 13th of December, PM. Noon, grey daylight. Me, Duke, and MacArthur prayed. Not only was Muirhead shocked by the obvious emotional distress experienced by his keepers. Men, by the way, generally known for being of the most resilient variety. But the weather reports also baffled him. All surrounding stations reported clear skies in the week leading up to the disappearance. He couldn't understand how such an intense storm could have rattled the cages of the keepers of Island Moor without affecting any of the surrounding islets. Regardless of this strange anomaly, Muirhead eventually ruled that the cause of the accident was what would later be designated a rogue wave. The only explanation that made any sense to him was that a truly massive wave had struck the west landing as the keepers were attempting to tie down supplies in a storm. While this explanation fails to address many of the questions that have plagued historians, researchers, not to mention the families left behind for decades, it was adopted as the official story. And so, as always, we are left with question after question. Duckett, Marshall, and MacArthur were one of the most experienced trios of lighthouse keepers in Scotland. Why would they have waited until the evening to secure supplies on the West Landing? What was the nature of this violent tempest that struck Island Moor without being noticed by any outside observers? Why would a group revered for their dedication to the job violate the number one rule for all lighthouse keepers and leave the light unmanned? Why would a man, again so experienced, leave the warmth of the lighthouse and brave the brutal winter temperatures without his oilskin coat? Did some kind of personal conflict come to a boiling point? Or could the legends of the Flannan Isles be based more on reality than any of us would presume? Had the restless spirits or fey folk finally had enough of a group of outsiders audacious enough to spend the night on Island Moor? Of course, the truth is that we'll most likely never find an answer. But that has not ever and will never stop us from pondering the possibilities in the Island Moor Lighthouse Mystery. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. Now the debrief. You uh, ready? I, I think it. so. I think so. Um, yes, I'm, I'm kind of baffled by this one. Um, I, it, it just It's a bit off-putting, because I know you mentioned, and I, I know I'm skipping way ahead... Uh, but at one point where there were several other reports that like the area was, you know, clear weather up to, like the week leading up to like their disappearance and everything. Um, yeah. but yet during their log and everything, they're reporting that like, you know, it's st- like massive storms and all this other stuff's happening and going on. So yeah, it's, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if I, I know that he mentioned that it was a possible, like, rogue wave or something like that. But I don't see a rogue wave causing, like, a mass storm. 
Maybe, yeah. um, but who knows? My thing is, like, it was a storm violent enough, and it lasted two days. And it was violent enough to, like, scare experienced lighthouse keepers. Right. I mean, that's what they're like, there to do. I mean, they should, they're they used yeah. to, like, yes. you know, like, ocean storms and stuff like that. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And so... Dude, it's 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 weird it's it's very weird like we'll get into rogue waves because okay. i don't yeah i know obviously but, this is like the harsh north atlantic right so like yeah <laughs> it's a very so, north atlantic exactly so i mean a lot of like you know some some pretty pretty outrageous storms and Massive waves yeah. and you know, choppy waters and things like that are going to be expected, you know. And that's what's so off-putting about it is that it was enough to cause like such, you know, such a. I mean, you mentioned what was it? Uh, one of the guys was crying in one of the one of the logs, like yeah, you know, like it just this hysteria basically that uh, you know just like yeah, just it, it crazy, crazy. And yeah, like I said, I know I'm skipping ahead, but that's like one of the first things that. You know, just kind of really just set kind of set me or set it apart a little bit. So, yeah, no, it's it's that's I mean, that's the strangest thing, right? It comes down to the journal, right? The, for sure. The account of what happened in those last few days, like they're basically stuck in the lighthouse while this insane storm batters the, you know, the lighthouse and they're like panicking. I mean, right, right. the the head keeper Duckett, he kept his cool, but even even in the journal, it describes him as being like qu- super quiet, he was quiet, and quiet and, right? Exactly. So, you know, yeah, just just very, I would I would think out of the ordinary for that, you know. But like you said, three experienced light, lighthouse keepers. Yeah. Um, now I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so basically, this island that they're on, you know, there's only these three three lighthouse keepers on the a whole island, I believe, uh, yes. because everyone else is worried about staying the night there due to like spirits and Fay and stuff like that. Which I know we haven't like we haven't really discussed Fay or anything um, yet. Yeah, not um, in earnest, right? So, um, yeah, which is. I guess I wouldn't mind kind of like elaborating a little bit more on on that, like, um, like why why like what caused them to feel like this was such a significance, um, you know, such a significance like or significant presence on the island. I don't know if it was ever like actually like you know brought to light or anything like that. So, so basically, basically like, oh, so wow, Saint Flannan. Yeah, literally just an empty island with a lighthouse, and yeah, that's yes. crazy. Okay, yeah, I wanted you to actually see. That's nuts to see it. Yeah, it's that's the only thing there. That's what's so weird is like okay, so obviously people disappear all the time, right? right? People people go missing in crazy numbers. Most people show up. Yeah, either of course. Or, you know, the unfortunate few are found dead or whatever, but every once in a while people just vanish yeah. and are never seen again, right? 
usually we've that ta- we've talked about cases like that, you know, in this show. Yeah. So usually cases like that are are blamed on basically bad people, right? Yeah. Like okay, yeah, right. They're killed and buried in the woods, or you know what I mean, something like that. These people are alone. Yeah. There's no outside force. You know what I mean? Right. To blame. Especially looking at this overview of the island. Like, there's not even, like, areas for people to hide. Or, like, it's not like it's, like, a densely populated, like, forested island or something like that. I mean, it's, like, it's all open. Yeah. Uh, Unless they're, like, hiding in the rocks that are surrounding the island. uh, (laughs) You know, who's to say? But, yeah, I mean, there's literally no area for it. Up until the lighthouse was built in 1899, this island was only used for daytime, like, sheep grazing. People would, like, would ferry their sheep across to it mm-hmm. because there's so much just open grass here. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. I mean, it's a big it's a big area for having, like, I mean, looking at the entire, like, land area of the island versus this little tiny lighthouse. I mean, the lighthouse looks big, too. But like yeah. you know, when you're looking at the island as a whole, I mean, it's massive. It's definitely a you know, it's a pretty large island for being just a small like nobody island, basically. That's the thing is like you could build a small town on that island. Oh yeah, without a doubt, for sure. Like you could definitely build the distance from the landing areas to the lighthouse were so great that they constructed a railway track that was. Basically, there was like a cart. You see, like the two in the in the aerial view. You see, like the two the two that kind of branch off. Yeah, yeah. Those are railway tracks. Ah, okay. Cool. So, actually, I think they were upgraded to like roadways eventually. Yeah. But originally, that's what they it were looks a bit more like. But yeah, yeah. But originally, they were railway tracks, and they had like a cart, a railway cart. That was pulled by a steam engine. Like, they had a, a steam engine outside the lighthouse, and there was, like, a rope system. Okay. That the steam engine, like, ran the rope system to move carts to get supplies from the landing zone to the lighthouse. Because, obviously, if you're if you're going to put a lighthouse on it, you got to put it on the highest point, right? And that's the farthest point from the landing zones. But the important takeaway about this this little islet is that the top there with the grass, that's almost 200 feet above sea level. Yeah. It's tall. Yeah, I mean, looking at, especially looking at the area around it, I mean, you're you're literally looking at cliffs. Like it's all it's yes. all cliff like. So, I mean, say someone was to fall off this island, like I, I would say, like, chances of survival are probably pretty slim. Yes, I would agree um, with that. Yeah, and for especially, sure. Especially, like, how rough this North Atlantic, North Atlantic waters are. Yeah. Um, you know, like, there's there's some other pictures I was looking at that show, like, the waves as they're crashing against, like, the rock on the side are just nuts. Yeah. So. But it's, like, it's a great distance to the top. Yeah, for sure. Right? Mm-hmm. 200 feet and that's where we get into i mean you wait you wanted to talk about why the 
Well, yeah, I was just, I was just kind of curious. I don't know if, like, if anything you kind of stumbled upon, like, gave a reason to why they were so fearful of these spirits. I mean, okay. other than this just being, like, you know, an empty island, literally not used for anything other than lighthouse keepers and, you know, sheep grazing here and there. Like, yeah. Um, you know, so I didn't know if there was any, like, maybe backstory or something like yeah. that that, like, kind of came with it. So here's the thing. It's... It wasn't feared because it was empty. It's empty because it was feared. Right? Right. Well, yeah. I guess. So, like... Yeah. Yeah. So, what happened? Originally, in the 7th century, St. Flannan, he built a, a, a church there. A chapel. Okay? It was actually... Some of the original construction is part of the lighthouse. Part of the lighthouse. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Um... So he builds this chapel and he starts bringing his followers there, basically. And I don't know that I'd follow anybody to this remote, empty island without fear of like something happening <laughs> to me. So maybe that's what started it. Dude, he's 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 sainted by the Catholic Church. I mean, that doesn't People matter. Saint him. or not, man. <laughs> like I don't. I don't yeah. I'm hard to trust I'm with anyone, you. so... <laughs> I'm with you, but people living in, you know, the 600s, if you had Saint in front of your name, I think you were pretty well trusted. You, yeah, you probably had some you know, significant amount of yeah. followers. Some clout. <laughs> um, right. But, so he brings his followers there, and they they only last about six months on the, on the island. Okay, so they actually then, stayed on the island. They weren't, like, yes. commuting back and forth. Okay. All right, no. that makes more sense. They stayed on the island, and about six months later, they just pulled up stakes and split. So okay. it became this like legend that they had been run off the island by its original inhabitants, which were Fay. I mean, yeah. That, that was the explanation for him just pulling up stakes and taking off. I mean, especially when it comes to, like, Gaelic, like, folklore and stuff like that, like, Faye is a yeah. significant part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into that for sure. Oh, but yeah. Before we get into the the supernatural, let's run through some of the, like, the natural, like, possibilities or, like... Yes. Okay. Theories. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. So the first one and the most accepted one, the most widely accepted theory, is that they were hit by a rogue wave. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's so, that's basically what the captain, I believe, right, had yeah. kind of came to the you know conclusion just that it was a rogue wave. Yeah. About a hundred years before anyone called them rogue waves. That's what okay. he was. That's what he was saying. Um, so rogue waves happen when winds when sea winds blow in multiple directions and kind of crash waves into each other they combine to make a much larger wave okay okay now here's the thing according to the guinness book of world records the largest recorded rogue wave ever hit the Dropner oil platform in the North Sea in 1995, and it was 84 feet high. I was going to say, I thought I remembered seeing one of the largest being, like, roughly 50 foot. So, yeah, I mean, that that would 
84 feet. I mean, still, that's not a significant difference. Um, but yeah. I know, yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely looked into some of these crazy rogue waves and stuff that literally come out of like nowhere and just, yeah, just massive. But yeah, yeah I mean, still not 200 feet though. Certainly to, not. To not hit, even halfway like, up the rock right. face. Exactly. So there would be no, I mean, no cause for concern, at, you know, at least at that point for them. Now, recent research has suggested, this is a quote, obviously, who the hell talks like that? Recent research has suggested that there could also be super rogue waves. Okay. Um, but they're purely theoretical. Well, I mean, at this point, I, I could see that being a possibility, especially when you get into like earthquakes and stuff like that. I mean, there's like there's super uh, I can't think of the exact name of them right now, but like like mass earthquakes that are like far superior to any you know type of earthquakes that we would experience around here. Right. Yeah. But like theoretically and scientifically, it's they're they're it's a it's a possibility. They are like, you know, they are a yeah. real thing. Right. So, yeah. I, could, I mean, because I see that. <coughs> they really only the scientific community really only started studying rogue waves in the mid nineties. Okay. Um, over the last five or six years, they've figured out that rogue waves are way more common than they ever thought. Yeah, they were. Like some people, like postulate that three out of every one thousand waves becomes a rogue wave. Like they're that common. I mean, you can you can literally YouTube videos of rogue waves yeah. and like ships like basically riding into them. And yeah. I mean, they're yeah, they're nuts. I imagine having that like, oh, I, I don't even want to think about it. No, <laughs> like, no, especially like yeah, because I'm going out on my next cruise here in a well, several well, a couple months, whatever. But still. I know I was gonna say when you went on your before you went on your cruise, we were talking <laughs> about like, oh man, I hope you don't encounter a rogue wave, dude. I, I know I was I was worried about it, but no, it was it was all good. Like uh, there was one night where we had a pretty pretty nasty storm and waves were pretty pretty gnarly, but like not bad at all. Yeah. So. Super rogue waves being purely theoretical. Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't buy the rogue wave theory at all. Hey, I don't, I mean, I don't think so either. Um, I mean, again, with the possibility of a super, super rogue wave, what constitutes as a super rogue wave Would that 80 some feet wave, would that be a super rogue wave possibly? Or I mean, are we looking at like several hundred feet or are we looking at literally a hundred and it tops out there? Like we don't know. Right. right? Yeah. So because like, they're theoretical, the theory behind it is that if enough rogue waves were happened in the same location, you could basically get rogue waves combining with each other the same way regular waves do to create right. the initial rogue waves. Right. Yeah. And it just creates a massive mass wave. Yeah. Or super rogue wave. For sure. But um, I don't. Yeah, so I don't, I, I, don't, I don't. I agree. I don't. I don't buy that either. Yeah. I, I think it's a silly. Like, I mean, it, I can't say it's a silly like theory, just mm -hmm. because like maybe theoretically it's possible. Sure, but I, I'd say there's there's definitely something else at play. What yeah, else you got? I don't. I mean, I might give it a chance if like if the tallest ever, if the highest rogue wave ever recorded was like 180 feet and right. Or even over a hundred feet, feet up, 
like sure, you know. right? Yeah, but it's not even close. So the next theory is that they escape. Like some people say that they could have just hopped a ship and split. Okay, so um, during the midst of this massive storm that's causing everybody to basically lose, like. You lose their lose shit, their shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like causing everybody to just like have this meltdown and, you know, act hysterical and all this other stuff like and they just happen to like split and find a ship that's willing to take them in when they said in one of the like in uh, talking about where basically they could see like yeah. a ship out in the distance and they could see they could see like the cabin lights and things like that. Like, did they just happen to swim out there? Or, like, I mean, you know, it's... I don't well, know. here's the thing. Maybe him mentioning the ship was because they were waiting on a ship. That's... I guess that's possible. Yeah, and that was and, the one that they happened to... Uh, yeah. Like, to board. And, but what happened to them? Like, there was nothing, you know... Exactly. And maybe getting freaked out by that storm, that super gnarly storm, is what drove them to... To get the fuck out of there and most people who like this theory cite the fact that like two of the guys had recently been fined for damaged equipment and like that was you know they were going to give up their whole maybe trying because, to get out of it basically well just that they were like disgruntled for having to you know pay fines okay yeah yeah but the thing is, two out of the three men had wives and children. Like, between the two men, they had six kids and wives. And they didn't. They would not have had to just escape the island. They would have also abandoned their families. I mean, unless their families, like, literally held their story for them. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you can't do that, like, your entire life. Somebody's bound no. to recognize you or... Yeah. Some, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't buy that either. Unless and the like, biggest, they literally didn't care and just yeah. started new lives. The biggest problem for me with this theory is that the nearest lighthouse from their lighthouse was 10 miles away at Lewis Island. Okay. okay. All ships, all ships would have had to pass Lewis Island to get to Island Moore safely. Like the only safe passage to Island Moore, they have to go right by Lewis. Okay. And Lewis reported no ships during those days. Huh. All right. So I'd say, yeah. Yeah. Debunked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't buy that either. Um, I, I want something. I want something spicier here. Like some, you know, something cooler. Okay. We're almost there. All right. All right. All right. All right. The next theory is conflict among the lighthouse keepers. Okay. So, like, it makes sense to me because spending six weeks straight with two people in close quarters would definitely be psychologically taxing. It would be hard to do. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Like, I mean, granted, like, if you, it, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be hard. It's just like, it's like having roommates, right? Yeah. Like, you're always going to run into spats and, like, disagreements and yeah. fights sometimes. Like, you know. So like I it, especially being in such a tight uh, like a tighter area I would think. Yeah. And then also all be working the yep. you know that same that same area like 
Yeah, I could see it definitely causing a lot of conflict. Okay. Yeah. Also, MacArthur had a reputation for being, like, this volatile character. Like, he would get in, like, he was known for, like, getting in bar fights and shit all the time. Oh. That doesn't help. Okay. Yeah. Um, But he, that being said, his service record with the lighthouse board was clean. He had never, he'd never had a fellow keeper, like, make a report against him or... Well, I he mean, maybe no he was like, maybe he was intimidating enough that it was like, you report me then. <laughs> and they're like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, you know, who's to say? But, um, yeah, I'm, hmm. that, like, at least that is a little bit, you know, has a little bit more to it. But who's yeah. like, what did he do? Did he kill him? Did they all the just thing. go off like fighting, like just in a like a three way like like bro down or like? <laughs> so why, I, how did they all disappear? <laughs> I think the theory is that like maybe MacArthur flipped out or, and killed the two, right? The other, or two. maybe like he accidentally killed one and the other one saw it, and so he like he went after him, and then sure, then maybe like in you know this. This grief, not not grief, but like you know, feeling like guilt. right, kind of guilt stricken rage. He just tosses himself over. Yeah, I, you know. But I'm, I'm grasping his straws here. I mean, that's dude. That's a a commonly thrown out theory is that he basically killed the two, and then realizing what he had done and all guilty about what happened, he just throws himself off the cliffs. Hmm. Yeah, I would say. I mean, that's that's more possible than this this possible rogue wave, or yeah. you know, like something like that. Yeah. The okay. My problem with it is because you think this this little island, this little islet in the ocean, the water is not deep around it. Okay. Right, which is why I mean, but with how much the how like rapid those waves are, how choppy uh-huh. that water is, how easily that would carry anything further out to sea. Yeah, but it also carries things back. I mean, you're right. You're right for sure. Because like the I mean, the waves are essentially back and forth, right? These islands are like tightly grouped. Okay. So there's like, there are like channels basically between each little islet. Um, so it, it throws me off that if they had jumped to their death, I think their bodies would have washed ashore. They would have been found. But where would they have washed ashore from? Like, I feel like they would, it would be a constant like push and pull sort of thing, right? At any of the islets. I think they would have found them. You're, I mean, you're probably right. Uh, you know, I don't quite know how, like, how bodies washed ashore and things like that, or what constitutes as like proper waters to literally dispose of a body. Because I mean, I've never been in that market. Like, you know, like, sure. <laughs> I never plan to be. But, um, you know, so like, yeah, it's. I, I don't know. I find that a little bit harder. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I think you're right. Like, I think it'd probably 
with the way that it like pulls in and stuff like that, I think I think they would probably wash up somewhere. All right, so let's talk Fey and All folklore. Right. Now that we're reasonably certain none of the commonly thrown out everyday newspaper theories, there right. probably none of them just work they out. don't hold up, right? Yeah. yeah, I don't think so. At least the closest one I think <clears throat> is the conflict, the fight. You know, I yeah, I would say that would be the only one that has like some, like at least some standing. You know, like something to kind of back it up. Like you have this guy that's already kind of a little bit of a brawler. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But so. Okay. So. Yeah. So discussing like the Fae and this kind of spirits and things like that on this island, which. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of getting. We should get into that. So. So. Here's my thing is if they did experience this crazy ass storm and no one else detected it, that sounds pretty damn Fae to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cuz like they're they were particularly known for like controlling the weather, for like affecting your mental state and the things that you see and experience. Right. So like maybe the storm was literally just projected into their minds. So and and also like looking a little bit into like more of like the kind of Celtic lore and stuff like that too, um, you know, like stuff like that of having you know basically in in Scotland uh, or Scottish mythology, they believe in like two forms of face. Um, yeah. You know, from I guess from the realm of fairy, as you know, the good and the wicked basically, where the good are the seely court and the wicked are the un- the wicked are the unseely court. The right. good are the ones that like get along with humans, like they're there, they're good natured, they're like you know, positivity and things like that. Whereas the um the unseely court, those are the more like more malevolent, more Violent. like getting back at, at humans due to yeah. like you know, literally like uh, you know, due to like their land and things like that, right? So Yeah. Um yeah. Cause like um, the, which, the 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 yeah, court, the 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 good fae they're kind of just known as like tricksters but they they get along with every like right, they don't yeah. hurt anyone like they're exactly. the kind of fae that might like beside humans essentially yeah. they're the type of fae that might like tie your shoelaces together and have a good laugh when you trip you know what right. i mean yeah my favorite my favorite fae is the knuckle v okay okay and this is one that I found while I was researching this that like okay so it's basically this big ass skinless man attached to a horse okay so like picture a horse and the man the man's torso grows straight out of the back of the horse not like a not like a centaur so is it reversed no, it had. It's a full horse. It has the horse head and everything. Oh, and it just has like the part of a man that's on. Yes. Okay. All right. It's all like right, it's you. like a guy riding a horse, but just no, ha- he just he doesn't have any torso, legs. So nothing else. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. And it has no skin, like black blood that you can see through its veins. It's super fucking gnarly. All right. But yeah. The thing that piqued my interest was it's rumored to control the wind. And it also is known for hating smoke. Okay. Okay. 
So hmm. my immediate thought was maybe all the smoke from burning the oil in the lighthouse pissed off this knuckle brought some unwanted attention and yeah yeah okay and it just blew their asses into the ocean with some crazy magical gust of wind now that because i like that theory actually (laughs) yeah Um, i mean everyone hmm. in the area knew that staying the night on the island was something that the fey didn't want they didn't want human beings staying there after sundown. Right. And these guys had been doing it every night for a year. Yeah. But I mean, like, but they've been there every night, like you said, for a year and nothing yeah. else has happened. That's true. So I, mean, I feel like something may would have happened before. There would have been something that they would have seen or experienced. Maybe it just finally pissed them off. Maybe. maybe they were finally just, or maybe they were just, you know, giving little nudges and they just weren't picking up on it. And then they were like, all right, we're just going to blow your asses into the ocean. <laughs> That's fair. Um, huh. I don't, I don't, yeah. I, like I said, I like the theory. I don't know that I buy it. Yeah. But I mean, it's just as good as the, all the others. Sure. Yeah, I mean, literally just as good as the others. Like, yeah, and especially as we're getting like into kind of like the darkness, the, the kind of paranormal, like the the weirdness of it all. Like that that holds up more, I think. Yeah, you know. I'm, so, but especially feel, when it comes to like Scottish mythology. Yeah, like literally, like it's. I mean, it's such a such a widely known topic. Like you know, like and then this is it's been a thing for 5,000 plus years that they've believed in like these, you know, these fae and things like that. Right. So like yeah. even to today, um, like Scottish, Irish, like it, it's very well known in like Celtic, you know, the, like whatever Celtic, Celtic mythology and stuff. Um, yeah. it's a huge part of their culture. Exactly. So like, yeah, I mean, out of everything, I like that the best, I think. Yeah. I like, of the of the um, theories that we've been over so far, I like I like the Fae the best. I don't know if that's like proof that my brain has been rotted over the last. I six mean, months. well, to be fair though, like in in Scottish like folklore, it's said that fairies or Fae used to guard different bodies of water, whether they be locks, whether they be like it, you know like these rough seas and things like that, or yeah. the streams. Literally, yeah. there was a fae or a fairy that would guard each and every one of them. Yeah. And they all had specific names and things like that. So, like, and there are a lot that do inhabit bodies of water specifically, like, you know, in the different kinds and things like that. Some that literally don't have any contact with humans and some that specifically, like, you know, like, are very, like, welcoming and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I know when you were talking about, like, the Nuclevees or whatever... Uh, where you have like them, the what is that? The Foshans, the the G do something, um, yeah. and then there was uh, there was another, but yeah, that are like, but it's said that a lot of them like will make humans aware that they don't want them to be there. Yeah, like, and then especially like they also fairies don't take kind to be calling fairies. Yeah, they like to be called fair folk. Ah. Um, you know, and so if they ever find themselves being being called fae or fairies, like they just don't take kindly to it. So that can also. But there's another one. Um, 
in uh, Scottish lore that uh, goes by a name, and I know I'm going to butcher it. It's like the sloth, the sluoth, or whatever. And if you ever say its name aloud, especially in a dark area, like it, it will come and just like wreak havoc, havoc on everything. Wow. And so it's, yeah. And it's one of like those, like, you know, he who shall not be named. Good thing uh, we can't pronounce its name. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. No doubt. Um, but yeah, so like, I mean, there, there's all types, you know, and that's, and that's such a big thing. In yeah. these areas, like Scotland and Ireland specifically, um, I actually have I have a friend that's uh, from Ireland that's living over here now, and we were talking one, one night, and she suggested like we do an episode on fairies and fays and stuff like that, yeah. just because like how terrorized she was growing up of them, and like and that's just it's a very common, still very commonplace thing that you know like they're scary as fuck and you know it's like just one of those things right so i think that calls for a fireside chat right well i've been trying i've been trying so maybe one day we'll see yeah you should definitely like just get her get her talking about all the shit she grew up with right it would be awesome i mean especially like just you know knowing that and like also getting into talking about fans stuff like that because it's it's we've like brushed on it a few times like just mentioning yeah, mentioning, but like we've never actually had a serious episode on it, and like there's so much that we can do. Yeah, we could like, get there, deep on it. There's so sure. much that we can really deep dive into it, and I would I would like to at some point. I think. Okay, definitely. But I think just kind of grazing, grazing the top of it here. Yeah. Um, I think like like your you know theory. I think that you know it. it there's some solidity to it. Yeah. Just given the area, given these sure. you know, these fay that like patrol and guard these areas and stuff like that now whether or not like it's going to bring about malevolent forces or anything like that that's going to be pretty rare right yeah uh depending but yeah it's it's just to say that's not the case though yeah that's true i mean rare doesn't necessarily mean impossible right exactly yeah so of course anytime anyone disappears without a trace one of the leading theories is Aliens. Always, yeah. Yeah. Always. I like when we get to talk about aliens, though. Now, here's the thing. The only thing that even sort of points toward aliens in my mind is a specific aspect of the damage of the West Landing. Yeah, I know that you had mentioned, like, there was, like, that box of supplies and stuff like that that was, like, basically, like, thrown overboard or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and just, like, demolished and, like, you know, and, and also, like, all these iron, like, these iron pieces that were, like, bent and torn and ripped yeah. and, like, this large, like, giant, like, what, like, ton-sized, like, boulder, boulder. or something that was, like, pulled out, like, yeah. yeah, like, things that wouldn't be easy to do by yeah. just normal man, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, that was that was that was pretty significant as well. The main the only part that points towards aliens is at the very top the grass they described how like the turf had been ripped up from the ground. Right. From so was that the, too for like 30 yards yeah, or 30 yeah. feet or whatever it was. From the edge of the cliff. 30 yards in but they specifically talk about how it's a straight line huh. where the where the ripped up turf ends it like it's like 
all the turf is removed to a straight line 30 feet back from the cliff. Could that have been the result of a craft? Right. Could that have been a landing site? Exactly. Yeah. That's the only thing that. that points toward aliens to me. Right. I mean, there's really nothing else that, yeah, you know, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's true. Like I didn't, I didn't even think about that as far as like that being, you know, possible, like, you know, possible like alien abduction or yeah, like something. Right. So, okay. It, um, I even looked for like UFO sightings over the, over this archipelago and all that. Nothing. I couldn't find a single thing. About oh, really? UFO sightings in the area, yeah, nothing. So it's not not a very common thing to like, you know, would like. I mean, I guess like theorizing, there's not really going to be a lot that backs it up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's fair. I mean, but what could cause that though? What else could cause that? That kind of damage. Yeah, yeah. It's a I like mean, it had to have been something big or something extremely powerful yeah and unless there was like some tornado that like brewed inside of this lighthouse sure there's actually (laughs) a theory there was a theory put forth by um by an author he wrote a book about it i think it came out last year um listeners if you know who the who the author is and what the book's titled, please let us know because um, I only ever saw it referenced like secondhand. Um, but he put forth this theory of uh, of a wind vortex, basically. Yeah, like that. Occasionally, they happen. Um, they happen to a small degree. You get like sort of weak wind vortexes happening between the like in the channels between the islets. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, but we're not in, we're not in like a lock or anything. We're not at like, yeah. So I don't know, which I guess, I mean, I guess that there's, but you said the next Island was 10 miles away. No, the next lighthouse is 10 oh, miles the next away. Light. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My bad. My bad this, for misunderstanding. Yeah. The, um, Island Moore is just the biggest of the Flannan Isles. It's like a group of ah, tightly, okay. tightly placed. It, they're just like little channels between each island. Yeah, yeah. That makes that makes more sense. But I mean, for something like that to develop, it takes like a specific, like one degree and another. <laughs> yep. Temperatures, like you know things like that like that can even cause the these to come about it's just like a yeah. tornado like yeah, you know it takes like a certain degree of like cold and hot air and like things like that like to build right so yeah i mean unless like that that day was just perfect yeah <laughs> who's to say uh, i mean but i could also see that causing a pretty maybe gnarly storm that's just in this small remote area right yeah here, okay, so if we leave out the fact that no one else experienced this storm, let's just say that there was a storm raging, okay? Let's say maybe they got the dates wrong in the in the journal, and the storm okay. was raging, and these two guys who had been recently fined for damaged equipment, they raced down to make sure all of the all of the gear on the west landing is you know, properly fastened and, 
it's it's gonna make it through the storm, right? Yeah. And then this fucking wind vortex forms in the space, right, between the west landing and the nearest other islet. Okay. And it's the biggest one ever. Okay. All right. Because they've documented them here in this exact place, but they're fairly, they're always fairly weak, right? So, so they just happen to be at the wrong place at the right, right time. Then this like, this wind vortex crashes into this fucking landing, the western landing, and does all this damage, right? Twists up the railings, throws the box full of mooring ropes, dislodges this um, rock outcropping, all that. And also chucks two of them into the sea, right? But that's only two okay. of them. But who's to say the third wasn't trying to, like, you know, form some plan to, like, try and retrieve them, and he ends up getting pulled out to sea as well, like, in doing so. I mean, yeah, or maybe they were down there, and when, like, when this vortex happens, it's, obviously, they're loud, right? So even during a heavy storm, it would be a notable uptick. And noise, right? Maybe it freaks out the third guy who's back in the lighthouse. He runs out without his coat to, you know, doesn't even think to grab his coat. He just runs out to make sure or to see what the hell's happening at least. Yeah. And then, but here's the thing. All these theories are thrown out like this, but it is not like a short walk from the lighthouse to this landing area. Well, like, I mean, the thing about the lighthouse is it is pretty close to the edge. Um, it's is it's actually pretty close to the edge. But it's not In but it's not close to the edge to, like, with the rest the, of the island. It's not close to the edge where all the damage was done though. Huh. Cuz that's the west yeah, landing. I, so I feel like they would have had to have been out like out in it or something. All three like, of them. Maybe right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Which everyone who knows them said that they would never do because that's like the number one rule for lighthouse keepers is someone has to be in the lighthouse at all times. You have to guy, leave these one guys man are in. experienced. You yeah, know, it's not like it's their first like rodeo exactly. out here. Like, and they've been there. You said what a year at that yeah. point. So like, yeah, I mean they they've had you know they've had some time under their belts at least, even if it's their first time doing it. And they were all three. Well. The two of them, (coughs) two of them had experience from before, from other lighthouses. Okay. Right. Like, they, here's another thing is like, we give this like stereotype often that the lighthouse keeper was like the crazy guy who's willing to live alone out by himself. And you know what I mean? But like in Scotland, lighthouse keepers were like a revered profession. Like, you had to be a badass to get hired to be a lighthouse keeper. Like, and I don't just mean tough. I mean, like, trustworthy. You had to have, like, a long record of being a solid person. Like, these were not crazy people. Right. These weren't, like... Yeah, I mean... They were... And they were dedicated to their job. 
it's I was gonna say it's also a very important job at yeah. that point too. It's not it's not like you know just anybody can do it either. Yeah, I mean these guys so, worked this lighthouse for a year. They probably ensured the safety of thousands of sailors. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a really important job, and they took it really seriously. Everyone who kn- who knew them said that there's no way that they would have left the lighthouse unmanned. Hmm. Like, no matter what was going on at the landing like areas, somebody, somebody, someone would have stayed, stayed. Like, regardless, right? Yes, for the sake of just being there and being, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless it was like some catastrophic thing that, like, they were all like. You know, like, for the sake of our well-being, we need to go, like, you know, and I I don't know. But yeah, I, yeah. But I would think they would be safer there than anywhere. Exactly. That's the so, thing. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one for sure. Like, so the vortex doesn't make much sense to me either, because why would they all three go? Why would they all three be out right. there for the vortex to take and them? And also go so far away from... Yes the lighthouse like like yeah yeah because and when i was originally thinking about it I was like i was thinking the lighthouse is like very close to the cliff like yeah right. you know whatever but no like if if it was on like in the western side or whatever like you're looking at the complete opposite side of the island yeah i mean you're talking like it's a half hour walk yeah i i i, I would ex- yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't expect any anything less than that there i mean when people talk about these theories they talk like Oh, he was in the lighthouse and heard a noise and ran outside to see what was happening. No, he would have had to walk that railway track for a half an hour to go see what was happening. Yeah. There's, and I don't know if you've ever been up in a lighthouse, but to get to even like to get to the top of a lighthouse, first of all, is it takes so long. Yeah. And it's extremely draining. <laughs> like I've I've been to a few and like and that's that's been my experience. Like granted, I mean they're probably you know often in the lower part of it and everything, yeah. whatever. Still, but like say one of them was up top or like near the top or something. I mean, you know, depending. And then this one doesn't look like it's like just some like short and stout little no. lighthouse. I mean, it looks pretty tall. Yeah, it's big. Um, like just the stairs like that go down. I mean, can take you like five to ten minutes just to walk down yeah you know so it's not like you can do in short skip and a hop out and you're you're ready to go yeah and then you have the half hour walk down the right. track so yeah yeah there's no way he just yeah, popped out without his possible. coat <laughs> no like it doesn't make any sense yeah uh, there's got to be something else do you have any? Do you have any additional theories? Yeah. Well, also in the tradition of the time, there there was a theory for a long time that it was a a sea monster. Okay. That attacked the side, the the western landing. But like again, they wouldn't all like three be out there. Oh yeah, I love yeah. the idea of unless, like giant squid tentacles coming up and ripping their asses off the stairs. It was a siren. Okay. That drew them so, all out of the lighthouse. Yeah, let's say that. Let's let's go. Let's 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 build a theory here. Okay. All right. So let's say there was a siren off in off in the distance, off on this other side of the island. That's like, you know, singing about her. You know, 
Yeah, that's Classic. that's my attempt at being a siren. <laughs> Classic siren song. Um, <laughs> so you know, you have the first one. It's like, oh, you guys hear that? And everybody else is like, no, no. Like, what? What are you? What are you talking about? And he's like, no, I, there's something. So like, one of the others goes like, you know, like this guy starts to go, and they're like, no, like just come on, hold, hold back, right? Yeah, we're gonna set a scene. All right, so he's like trying to get trying to get him to like not go out, and then finally this guy just starts to go, and so one of the others, all right, I'm I'm, I'm gonna get him. The guy's like, all right, I'm gonna hold back. I'm gonna just watch everything, make sure everything's good. Yeah. Um. So then he, as he's coming out and everything, and like chasing after them, he starts to hear. It. And so they're both drawn to this right this sound like this, you know. And so the third one. Like a little bit of time has passed, right? Yeah. Nothing. He's he's not seeing anything. He's he's you know wondering like what's what's going on. You know, like he's starting to kind of worry, but he's manning a station. Like you know, he's he's doing his job. Yeah. But he starts to hear something. Mm. And due to this, like this, you know, this very like you can't explain like what is drawing him to it, but like he he needs to go, and like he has this thought like. Well, maybe I can find the others in the process. Sure. Reasoning. But like, with there's this thing drawing me, drawing me out. Like, you know, and like, and that's why he, you know, that's why the third one ends up going because, you know, yeah, he was sitting back manning, you know, manning the, manning the thing, doing, you know, doing his, his part and everything, but he couldn't help but to be drawn in as well. And they all three end up, you know, out and about. And the third one is so drawn that he walks right by his coat, straight out the door. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because yeah. if you're like, if you're in, if you're like in like that that much like say like in a trance, right? That yeah. that sirens are known to put you in, like literally draw you in, <laughs> like unwantingly, unlike knowingly. Yeah, like pulling you pulling you in, you know, without like you even realizing what's going on, or even like noticing, like you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just this like constant want, this constant need to find whatever the source is, right? Yeah. So, you know, like we're we're getting into sea monsters, why not? Like why not, you know? And like there we go. I think I just solved it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did. We should have named this episode That explains everything. <laughs> we should have named this episode The Siren Song of Island Moore. Yes, I love it. We're yeah. gonna rename it. Nailed it. Dude. No, but yeah, I mean, no, that's like you know, that's a possible thing. You it's know, just it's, as it's, li- still, like, it's just as it's, likely it's just as a as, sea monster right, or exactly. a fae, right? Yeah, I agree. And sirens are also very fae. well known yeah, in yeah. Scottish folklore as well. It's true. And so, yeah. But, like, to cause all this damage and stuff, I can't quite understand what would do that. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, what's the so, f- what's the flytrap part of this Venus? You know what I so, mean? So, I like, mean, for she's a siren. literally pulling them to jump off of this cliff. Okay. So, but that doesn't explain, again, all the damage. Yeah, definitely. Also, so, why would she take them all the way to the West Landing when she could just have them walk around and hop off the cliff right next to them? Because that's where right. she happens to be in yeah. one of those channels, right? And one of like, you know, and they're hearing it off in this distance, but like the sound is deafening. 
Yeah. Like that's how la- once it once it gets you like it's it's deafening and it's like, you know, it you're you're sucked in. Right. And you don't so, even notice the the cold of the North Atlantic. Right. <laughs> or yeah. the choppiness of the North Atlantic. Yeah, exactly. Or just the North Atlantic in general. Look, there are just so many aspects of the North Atlantic. <laughs> exactly. So okay. speaking of the North Atlantic. Uh-huh. <laughs> um that's all I got. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nailed it. Alright. So yep. Best for last, I'm going to give you my favorite theory. All right. And it is not nearly as intriguing as a siren or a sea monster. Or the fae, for that for that matter. Ooh, speaking of which, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but like, uh, you what if right the ahead. siren... What if the siren was luring into the sea monster that, mm. like was like gripping onto the side of the cliff and like trying to, you know, like trying to get on each side or whatever. And that's sure. what like causes some damage. And stuff. Maybe it's like the siren is like, uh, um, it's like setting the trap. They work together. Right. Right. Exactly. There's like a symbiotic relationship between the siren and the sea monster. What are some other like cool, like sea monsters and stuff from like the odyssey? Cause that's like immediately whenever I think of like especially like siren songs yeah. and stuff like harpies. Like I always think of the Odyssey. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know there were some gnarly sea monsters. That's true. Um, that literally I mean, it could cause some of that damage, especially if they're like re- re- operating as a twofer. It's true. And like you know, it's, so yeah. All right, never mind. Get <laughs> get back to where where <laughs> you're going. Okay. Otherwise, I'm going to continue to build on this all day. So. My favorite theory is mercury poisoning. All right. All right. So there's a, there's an invention that happened in 18, in like the 1850s called the Fresnel lens. Okay. All right. The Fresnel lens is called, it's referred to as the invention that saved a million ships. Okay. So, they invent this lens that basically it it floats in this um, in this pool of liquid mercury. Okay, that's that's what the lens that's what they were dealing with up there at the top of the lighthouse. So huh. it allows them to swivel the lens and move it around faster. Right. Right, because it's floating in this pool of liquid mercury, right? And it's just like a th- like a traditional thermometer, right? Right. Yeah. But okay, so basically, the lens like sets in a track, and that track is filled with liquid mercury, so that they can move the lens around smoothly. And it's not like as what daunting of a task to like yeah. try and push it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, as a lighthouse keeper, you have to be able to move that quick. Right. Yes. So, yeah. And the, um, the thing is the lighthouse keepers had to clean it, not just the lens, but the actual liquid mercury would collect dust and debris. And they cleaned the liquid mercury by draining it through a cheesecloth by hand. Mm. So they're constantly being exposed to literal like yeah. heavy amounts of mercury. Yeah. Now I looked it up and 
the 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 accepted science is that having five nanograms of mercury in your blood per liter can lead to death. That's considered right. mercury and poisoning if you're at five nanograms. Right, and there's there's three levels of mercury poisoning. You have, of course, moderate. You have kind of like a intermediate. Then you have like severe right. mercury mercury poison. And severe mercury po- poisoning causes like extreme panic attacks. Like yeah, uh, like extreme bouts of fear, uh, yeah. stress. Um, you know things like that. Like literally, like constantly in a state of panic, depression, insomnia. Yeah, you know, like all of, all of that. So. Lots of like okay. headaches, tremors, hearing loss, hallucinations. Like right, I was gonna say yeah. yeah. Then at that point, you're looking at like more psychotic, like, yeah, more like so. So like I told you, five nanograms is is dangerous levels, right? But lighthouse keepers if, were exposed to trillions of nanograms. I was gonna say every if time they touched that lens, to, like run this out by hand and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, and constant exposure. And liquid mercury gives off vapors when it's exposed to open air, right? And the fumes linger, especially in poorly ventilated places like old lighthouses during storms. <laughs> like all the doors are kept shut, all the windows are shut, and they just have this giant pool of mercury in the top of the building. Huh. Yeah, so, and that's literally always there. Like everyone's literally always like breathing that in, just yeah. adding more and more. Not not even not even like the like physical exposure, but like the fear. You know, it's just still right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, like during heavy storms, they're basically sitting in like mercury soup. Yeah, <laughs> in that <laughs> lighthouse. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> like. So and also you also have to think about like what are what are they eating yeah. most often being on an island they're probably eating a lot of like fish and things like yeah. that maybe even more Who mercury knows? poisoning right exactly <laughs> like this here's a little bit it's it's a tiny amount but it's just gonna add that yeah. like you know a little bit of extra flavor uh as if the fucking giant pool of mercury wasn't enough here's salmon for dinner <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, and then I mean, and then also with this, like these large amounts of mercury poisoning can cause you to literally go insane. Yeah, um, and yeah, just like reading through like some of the, the symptoms and things like that, like you know, excessive crying. We had uh, yep. one of the guys literally crying. We had uh, 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 what Duckin being like, like just very quiet and very yeah. like you know on to edge. himself, like. Right, and that's and that's like this constant like fear of, like even a lot of these are like fear that you're going to kill yourself. Yeah, like not even like thoughts of you're going to kill yourself, but fear that you're literally going. Yeah, to. you're afraid you're going to do. Like it. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I could I could imagine this doing some serious damage. Yeah, for real. Like, and my thing is like, there's also a little tidbit that MacArthur, the one that was crying. He's the one that the coat belonged to, right? The coat that was left. Yeah, he was the third third one out, supposedly. Yeah. So right. he also happened to be the one in charge of cleaning the lens and the mercury most of the time. That explains it right there. So 
Maybe he just lost his fucking mind and took off without his coat. And maybe, you know, so the other two went looking are for we, him. Like, are we for sure he was the third? Or he just it was just that he left without his coat. So he left without his coat. That's all they really know. Right, so he could have been the first one out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe the other two went looking for him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's that's a that's that's heavy. Yeah. And then maybe still freaking out on the Mercury, he just fucking kills the the other two and chucks himself off the cliff. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, you have like crazy like. I mean, literally causes you to go insane. Like he could have been like hallucinating. He could have, you know, see been hearing like throughout this like folklore and stuff of like people being scared of like spirits and fans yeah. stuff around the island. Maybe he started to see things. Maybe. And then uh, he's like trying to protect himself and unknowingly like Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah, and that one makes That's, the most sense to me. Yeah, I think that uh that it definitely bring like brings the heat. I mean, it's got a lot of, a lot to back it up. I mean, especially okay, dude. Just living in those mercury fumes for like days and days without even being able to open a door. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, that would be that'd be awful. Yeah, you're eating food so. that's sitting in basically a cloud of mercury fumes. Right, like it's breathing just like a little, it in constantly. Mercury marinade, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. That's rough. Yeah. I would say that's probably the most logical reasoning yeah. of what could have happened. But even then, where are the fucking bodies? What caused and also what caused the damage? Yeah. What caused like this big giant boulder to be yeah, I mean, that's the stuff like I keep forgetting about. Yeah. But we can't dismiss it. Like, what? where did that come from? Yeah. See, and that's the thing. That's why I love stories like this and like, um, what's the one with the, the mountain? Granger Taylor. Sure. Um, <coughs> um, and the, the Russian one. The two, yeah, the two guys. Uh, the No, oh man, I can't. No, the... the that masks, right? No, that I mean, that one too, Ventame Hill. But I was talking about the yeah. Russian one with the mountain climbers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the um, Dyatlov Pass. Yes, yeah. Dyatlov Pass. That's why I love stories like this because, <laughs> like, every time a theory starts to make sense, you're like, "Wait a minute, what about this?" But, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. And this, I, I really, I, I dig a lot of these because I like when, like, we actually get to, like, theorize and, like, think of, like, put our own, like, twists and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, um, it's, it makes it a bit more fun. Yeah. And hopefully, like, you know, people listening can also, like, put together some thoughts and maybe share them. Yeah. Like, let share us them know, with us. Like, for sure. Start a, start a conversation, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to, I would definitely love to hear some more and, Yeah. Yeah, that's cool though. I yeah, I dig that one. I think that's that's probably my favorite one thus far. <laughs> yeah, I honestly I don't fucking know. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it's it's hard to say. To be this honest. has been a mystery for over for 120 years. There's no way you well, and I, I are going to solve it. Happened in 1900, it. right? Yeah. Exactly. 
yeah, it's it's not gonna be it's not gonna be anything, and we're not even dealing with like conspiracy theory no. or anything like that. Like it's not like we're not like like dial up fast. Like we got to talk about like the Russian go- Russian government involvement and stuff like that, and like um, you know like. Yeah, it's not. This is nothing. Nothing like that. This no. is like literally what happened. Yeah. So. No, it's it's a crazy story. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I mean, it's honestly, it, yeah. I think, uh, like I said, that just makes the most sense. I, I I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that. That's yeah, that's my favorite theory. I think. Same. I think mercury poisoning caused a murder suicide and. A sea monster ripped apart the West Landing. <laughs> that because that's the <laughs> yeah. I mean, because because <laughs> with this, there's still no explanation for what happened on that other side. Exactly. Um. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree. <laughs> yeah, that's the official. I'm gonna agree. That's it. It's a sea monster. They're just like, man. Oh, I got here too late. <laughs> Those guys are dead well now. The I can just rip shit up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or maybe, oh man, I think I just did it. All right, okay. we've got one more. Okay. So they all three have mercury poisoning, right? Because, duh. All right. And then, obviously, murder suicide, they throw themselves off the cliff, each other, themselves, <laughs> combo. <laughs> like the other pushes one and then he pushes him, yeah. like as he's falling down. Exactly. Yeah. One of them grabs all the right. last one's shoelace and pulls him down with him. exactly so they crash to their deaths in the water below right and along comes a sea monster that eats them because it gulps them right up yes and now the fucking sea monster has mercury poisoning and flips out and destroys (laughs) the west landing you know when we talked about we had that conversation recently about like like being dis you know not being dismissive and like being too light on issues and yes. stuff like that i think we're doing that right now <laughs> okay to be fair enough fair <laughs> but enough. i like that one too though. <laughs> i think i think it's a it has some it has some meat behind it <laughs> yep <coughs> all right before we wrap up we have a patron to thank yes we do yeah She's my sister. Uh, I was gonna say big, <laughs> big thanks to Kaylin Heath. Yes, absolutely uh, for for uh, yeah pledging, and uh, I know we haven't gotten it out yet. Completely apologize. Obviously, like we're trying to provide as much content as much as is possible. We also had a couple episodes lined up ready to go. So yeah, making sure we get it out, get you your shout out again. Thank you to all of our patrons for pledging, uh, supporting us. Again, for anybody else, you'll have a nice you know, t- little tidbit here at the end about our Patreon. But again, support us on Patreon, guys. There's yeah. a lot of tiers, bonus content, swag, swag if you're you know feel so ever inclined to pledge that much. Yeah, um, at a lowly fifteen dollar tier. Uh, but uh, yeah, just and just all the extra content that we are working right now, working hard on putting out, and we will be putting it out as frequently as possible absolutely once uh yeah once everything is is live so again check us out patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling uh with that said and that concludes episode 31 the island more lighthouse mystery thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of our weird possibly alien maybe ghostly 
probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. And if you want more, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. It's there you will find bonus content behind the scenes. We're just keeping up on our day to day and maybe some swag along the way. It is our way to show thanks for your support and do everything we can to provide you with as much content as possible. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. With that said, we want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And lastly, we do have our merch store. You can find the link available on all of our social media or via our link tree. Show your support. Buy a shirt. Buy a sticker. Buy a blanket. Buy a pillow. Anything that you want to rep Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram. The brilliant mind behind the gorgeous music that you hear each week behind the debrief. So go find him at reverentmusic.bandcamp.com or you can visit his Spotify page by searching Reverent, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T. All of these links can be found in the episode description. Go and support him. You both deserve it. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.